0: How long would a clock continue working in a crocodile? For a zombie outbreak to be a legitimate threat, how contagious would the virus need to be?
1: We obviously use
0: more than 10% of our brain. Where did that idea come from?
1: So, some spiders have a working memory. Could we teach them the spell?
0: Hello, device listeners. This is Device Interviews, and I am Emily T. Griffiths. Uh, This is the interview where I talk to Dr. David Holloway from UCSD. Um, We talk a lot more about his research with the Argentine ant in San Diego. I'm not going to really be interrupting that much because he's pretty straightforward, and there's a lot of really healthy information in here. So I'll be back at the end with some footnotes, but let's get in. All right, so if you would please introduce yourself.
1: My name is David Hallway. I'm a professor in ecology behavior and evolution in the Division of Biological Sciences at UC San Diego.
0: Well, thank you for joining us, David. Um, uh, I was wondering if you could please give us a brief introduction to what an invasive species is and invasion biology.
1: So uh, I work on what I refer to as introduced species. So these are species that are, are introduced into new locations by people, either purposefully or accidentally. And that, that definition is very clear in that humans play a, a role, a direct role uh, in the introduction of, of such species. The term invasive species is a little subjective, and I, and I avoid using it, actually, because invasive means different things to different people. I think a, a generally accepted usage of the term invasive is that that type of introduced species disrupts ecosystems in some way, but that in and of itself is hard to measure. And many species are referred to as invasive when their ecological effects are probably minor Mm -hmm. or when they only occur in close association with humans.
0: So is, because I, you have used the term invasive species before to kind of describe um, plants, animals, uh, insects that have been brought Uh, into a community by humans, but invasive species doesn't necessarily mean that was brought by anthropogenic means.
1: It does, in Um, fact. Invasive species could be considered a subset of introduced species, and invasive species typically are are those that are, like I said, ecologically disruptive, that spread beyond human-modified environments, but even that definition is not in general use in the ecological literature. So the term is very commonly used. I've used it before, but I, I try not to use it as much as I used to and stick to the term introduced species. That term is clear.
0: Okay, I, I understand that. Um, so how does that play into invasion biology?
1: So, so introduced species are uh, an economic problem. They're also an ecological problem. I tend to focus more on the the latter aspect of that phenomenon. Uh, biological invasions are also a growing problem with the increases in globalization and commerce, air travel. Uh, Species are more frequently carried outside of their native range than ever before, and species are introduced into new environments more commonly uh, than ever before.
0: Okay. Uh, So some of the native ant species that we have here in San Diego that, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is just from my little bit of research but we have like the harvester ant uh and the southern fire ant which uh, both have powerful stings and are large larger ants um can you uh perhaps that i know this might sound a little silly but they have there's also been reports that i've read that they can eat large like animals like either fledglings like like baby birds or there was one that um I read that the harvester ants can kill a pig, like a tiny pig, a baby pig. Uh, and I'm just wondering how elaborate those reports are, if they're actually based in some sort of truth.
1: Well, ants with stings do get a lot of attention because they are they can be a public health concern, certainly for for people that have developed allergies to the the, the venom of uh, ants that are capable of stinging. That can be a, a problem. And the, the introduced fire ant is probably the best example of that mm-hmm. in, in the United States. In California, we have a number of species of ants that uh, can sting. So like uh, bees and wasps, they have stingers that they inject venom uh, either into prey or into animals that are uh, threatening them uh, in some way. Uh, In the case of southern fire ants, which are a native species, uh, they use their sting to subdue prey. So other insects, caterpillars, provide a good example. In the case of harvester ants, uh, those ants use their sting to uh, defend themselves and, and mostly against other animals that are are disrupting their their colonies, they don't they don't sting aggressively. So you're, you're unlikely to be stung by a harvester ant uh, unless you purposefully disrupt their their colony.
0: Um, they do use it for some prey items, and it would but it would take them a while to digest. I imagine something that they did um, capture.
1: Well, well, fire fire ants use their sting to kill prey. Harvester ants don't. Okay. Uh, harvester ants are are for the most part vegetarian. They they eat seeds. In fact, that's why they're called harvester ants. So they bring seeds back to their colony, and store those seeds uh, throughout the throughout the year. When seeds are are not readily available in the environment, they can feed on seed stores uh, from uh, from past periods of availability. Uh, harvester ants harvester ants don't use their sting uh, to to kill prey, but fire ants can. Fire ants can, and there, there certainly are other ants uh, as well that uh, can use their stingers in that way. I should say that a number of ant groups have have lost the they have lost their stingers and, and can't sting at all. So, so it's it's. Uh, Is that it, a
0: recent thing
1: or an uh, evolutionary? Well, no. Uh, okay. I mean, those are those are old groups of ants that have have lost their stingers and the capacity to sting. They they do have chemical defensive compounds that they mostly use against other ant species, mostly in in territorial uh, interactions.
0: So the the ants, they're they're nesting ants, and they tend to stay close by. They're not really traveling. Like the fire ants that we have are more, I don't want to say homebodies, I don't feel like that's the right way to describe it, but um, are they more nomadic, or do they kind of stay closer to where they're they're indigenous?
1: Well, yeah, ants vary tremendously in, in how... Uh, faithful they are to particular sites and how long they'll occupy particular nest sites. Uh, some species will occupy the same nest site for years, uh, whereas others uh, move their nests periodically throughout the year. And then uh, some ants, like army ants uh, that you mentioned, uh, are are really nomadic in that they're not tied down to any one particular place. They, they move continuously throughout their the lifespan of the colony.
0: So we have an invasive species of fire ant from South America, I believe, uh, here in San Diego. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about the damage that they're causing?
1: The ant that you're uh, mentioning is is commonly known as the red-imported fire ant, and Mm -hmm. it's native to Argentina and Brazil and surrounding uh, countries in, in southern South America. It's very widespread throughout the southeastern United States. It also occurs now in Australia and China and uh, likely elsewhere. Uh, about 20 years ago, they were first found in Southern California, and they are not all that widespread in San Diego, although they they have been recorded here. They're uh, a public health concern because they do sting. They're, they're believed to be more aggressive than our native fire ant, although more should be done to compare the behavior of those uh, two species. They're, morphologically, they're very similar to one another in their appearance. Fire ants also uh, can uh, compete with uh, native ant species and have been recorded to disrupt ecosystems in in other ways uh, as well. Okay.
0: But they're not the most, um, I guess, persistent invasive, uh, sorry, um, introduced species that we have here in uh, San Diego. You've done a lot of amazing research on Argentine ants that uh, seem to be kind of taken over <laughs> our, our, our land.
1: Well, throughout, yeah, throughout most of, uh, coastal California, the the common ant in people's homes and gardens is the Argentine ant, which is from the same part of South America as the red imported fire ant. It's been here a much longer time though. The first records of the Argentine ant from California were from over a hundred years ago and it became very, uh, common and widespread early in the 20th century, uh, in California. Argentine ants are, are very aggressive towards other ant species, probably more so than the red imported fire ant, and they displace native ants. So it's hard to find native ants in areas where the Argentine ant has uh, occupied. One of the interesting things about the Argentine ant is that they're simultaneously a conservation problem and that they reduce our native diversity and are ecologically disruptive in other ways. They're also a household pest. So the Argentine ant will come into people's homes, especially in the summertime when it's hot, they're looking for water. They'll also, t- also come into people's homes in the fall and early winter um, when their nests get flooded by the, the first uh, fall rains that we get. And uh, despite the fact that they're common in people's homes, they're they're environmentally benign as a household pest. They don't sting, unlike the fire ant. They also are not known to carry any diseases, and uh, they will uh, feed upon some household pests as well. So they may even be a benefit in people's homes.
0: Excuse me. Um... That's kind of funny because I, um, I was reviewing uh, some of your work and it looks like one of the reasons why they are so successful at displacing uh, creatures is because of us. It's because like we bring uh, more moisture into what would actually be a much more arid desert-like environment by building homes. So they are attracted to the moisture and they are attracted to our homes and the basins, but at the same time they're trying to escape when it gets too, too much for them. Is that what I'm understanding correctly?
1: Trying to escape people's homes.
0: Oh, trying to escape. Like you're saying that they r- run into our homes for shelter when, like, the rains come.
1: Yeah, they tend to. They tend to not stay in human structures all throughout the year. They they mostly move into people's homes when they're looking for water or when they're flooded out of their their nest sites. Um, the the point you made of the, in the first part of your statement is an important one to emphasize, and that is that in many parts of Uh, California especially southern California uh, the distribution of the Argentine ant and certainly its abundance um, is enhanced by irrigation and that can be either for agricultural purposes or for uh, urban uh, gardens uh, both in cities and in in private property Uh, without that much moisture in the environment the Argentine ant wouldn't be as widespread it also wouldn't be as common so what do you think the
0: projected range of the Argentine ant is? Is it, um, how bad is it?
1: <laughs> in California?
0: Um, yeah, in California.
1: Well, the ant is is probably present in many of the areas in which it will, could likely uh, persist. It's an ant from the subtropics, so it's intolerant of freezing temperatures. Uh, like I said, it's also intolerant of dry conditions. So its its distribution within the state is is bracketed by suitable climate. It occurs uh, all throughout the coast of California, from about the Bay Area south into Baja California. It, more locally inland, it's mostly around uh, streams and rivers and areas with uh, irrigation. It's found on half of the California Channel Islands and it has uh, spread on the islands that it ha- on which it does occur in the Channel Islands. It, it has become uh, common and is a ecologically disruptive species. Uh, There as well. I should add that California is not the only place that's invaded. The species is found in all five Mediterranean climate ecosystems throughout the world, and some uh, mild temperate subtropical areas as well, such as the southeastern United States and southern Japan. So it's 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 not a problem that's confined just to California.
0: Hmm. So why are they so successful at uh, displacing other species?
1: Uh, They they achieve high levels of abundance in their introduced range, and they're also extremely aggressive. And it's really those two uh, characteristics that allow them to to outcompete uh, native ants in California.
0: Uh, so, when you say aggressive, do you mean behaviorally ag- aggressive or just reproductively
1: aggressive? Uh, beha- yeah, behaviorally aggressive. Okay. Uh, they will fight with ants um, uh, without any hesitation.
0: Hmm. Um, so it's also my understanding that, um, unlike the harvester ant, the Argentine ant is tiny. Um, and therefore, and as you mentioned before, uh, harvester ants since they feed on mostly plant material, uh, they're also one of the reasons why you know seeds can travel to different areas in uh, San Diego and uh, by displacing uh, the harvester ant, like, is what kind of um, impact is the Argentina ant having on the greater uh, ecosystems because of the way that it's displacing other ant species?
1: Yeah. So what you just described was was the the breakdown of a dispersal mutualism, and this was first documented in South Africa in Mediterranean ecosystems uh, there. And we have observed the same thing in California. Uh, There are some plant species that rely on ants to uh, disperse their seeds. Mm -hmm. And by dispersing their seeds, those seeds on average enjoy uh, a higher chance of germinating and becoming a a mature plant to produce more seeds. So that's how that behavior, that's how that uh, trait evolves. And uh, the Argentine ant is too small to, to disperse large seeds. So uh, one of the plants that grows in our chaparral, the tree poppy, uh, is a plant that uh, produces seeds that are readily dispersed by harvester ants and also carpenter ants, other large-bodied ants. Uh, but Argentine ants, uh, which kill off those ants, are too small to disperse uh, their seeds. And and the, the California chaparral doesn't have all that many plants that have ant-mediated seed dispersal. Uh, That phenomenon is probably more uh, important in South Africa, and and that's been fairly well documented um, in those ecosystems. Another another disruption that Argentine ants uh, cause in our local ecosystem is the disruption of pollination mutualisms. So the Argentine ant has a a sweet tooth. They really like uh, carbohydrates, sugars, and uh, they visit flowers to get uh, floral nectar. And they can uh, interact aggressively with uh, pollinating species like uh, bees and, and other flying insects uh, that more effectively move uh, pollen from, from plant to plant. And at least in some plant species, uh, it's been documented that uh, Argentine ant presence in flowers uh, leads to reduced visitation by pollinators. And at least in at least one plant species here in California, that also results in a reduced capacity to produce seeds. So,
0: is that the poppy that you mentioned? Or? That is
1: a, a, a plant called the morning glory, uh, which oh. is a common plant along the coast of California. And, and that uh, study was done on Santa Cruz Island, uh, but I'm pre- I presumably happens on the mainland as well.
0: Hmm. So that's one of the reasons why we get Argentine ants in our house is because they're looking for sugar.
1: They can uh, they can come into homes looking for food, for food. Uh, and they they do sometimes, and they are omnivorous. So they do like sugars and those uh, macronutrients are uncommon in nature. So so that's why they visit flowers. And they also tend to aphids and scales to get honeydew, another source of natural carbohydrates. But they'll eat anything in people's homes. So they, they will come in and feed on pet food or, you know, other things that people leave out. Sounds about right. Uh, they, I should say they primarily come into homes because of uh, changes in the in in the seasonal climate and so th- they usually don't come into homes just to to look for food
0: Perfect. so it's 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 more of like a byproduct like
1: yeah, yeah. exactly yeah
0: so in one of the the um, uh, sort of studies that you put out there was um, you were putting out pit traps, which is, I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, they're they're basically little plastic cups that have like a soap mixture in them to trap insects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the it was something like a two to one ratio of Argentine ants to literally every other ant that you collected. Um, but there are these pockets of where Argentine ants tend not to be even in um, kind of Like uh, in areas where you would expect to see them. Um, Why do you think that is? Why do you think there are areas that are kind of protected from uh, these aggressive ants?
1: So, yeah, so within their introduced range in California, they're they're not continuously distributed. So some of the areas that still have native ants, especially on the coast, are areas that are too dry for the Argentine ant to invade. So if the soils are well-drained, and summertime temperatures are high, and there's no other source of water, there's also no fog, um, those ecosystems can be very difficult for the Argentinian to invade readily. One of the interesting things about the Argentinian is that despite the fact that it's spread throughout the world by people, on its own it spreads rather slowly. It doesn't have a uh, winged dispersal uh, with respect to, well, queen, queens don't, participate in mating flights. So colonies, new colonies don't form from wing dispersal. They form from workers and queens moving on foot from an established nest site to a new nest site. And that process uh, is, as you might imagine, very slow. And so within its introduced range in California, it's still uh, consolidating uh, the areas in which it can uh, occur.
0: So how was it originally introduced? Do we know or is that just...
1: It's, it's not known, and this is, this is true for most introduced species. They're usually detected when they become uh, abundant enough for people to notice. Uh, the first records were from uh, the San Francisco Bay Area and from uh, the vicinity of Los Angeles, and they were both established populations around 1908, 1909, something like that. And they probably were introduced from uh, the southeastern United States in agricultural commerce Mm-hmm. As opposed to being introduced directly from South America, um, that of course was before the Panama Canal was built, and uh, and it was before air travel or, or nation's highway system. So it was probably uh, agricultural commerce from the southeast by rail that brought them into California. But yeah, when they got here, and 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 how long they were here, you know, prior to us noticing is is not, uh, is not known. And, and like I said, that's true for most introduced species. Mm-hmm. Certainly the when the red imported fire ant was first found in Southern California, I think that was in the late 1990s, uh, the, f- the, the species was already pretty widespread before people, mm-hmm. people noticed it.
0: So does anything eat the Argentine ant that can potentially help maybe back the population down a bit? Or?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. So one way to, to manage uh, introduced species is to introduce biological control agents. And that's a strategy that's used against plants and also some uh, some animals as well. Introduced, uh, introducing specialized uh, parasites or or um, pathogens. There's certainly nothing that consumes the Argentine ant enough to reduce its numbers to the point that it would not be a pest. Uh, there are a number of vertebrates that that feed on Argentine ants, uh, some lizard species, some bird species, but like I said, not enough to to keep it in check.
0: Mm. Uh, so what are some of the effects of urbanization uh, and um, introduced species on native? Uh, oh, wait, this is kind of something we've already talked about. We've already, we've kind of circled around some of my questions, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is great. I like when stuff happens organically. Um, but our influence on Southern California has created which seems to be a happy uh, living space for some of these these uh, introduced, yeah, introduced species. Is it is that true for Argentine ants and for the um, the invasive fire ant? I'm sorry, I forgot what you called it. Red imported. Red imported fire <laughs> ant. There we go. Um, have we kind of created a better uh, habitat for them to exist in?
1: Yeah, we absolutely have, and that's true. That's true for for introduced species uh, in general. They oftentimes. Uh, first proliferate in areas that are modified by humans. And like I said in the beginning of this conversation, only a minority of those species uh, spread beyond uh, areas that are modified by by people. Uh, in the case of the Argentine ant and the red imported fire ant, both benefit from, from irrigation and uh, the creation of sort of artificial environments that resemble more closely the habitats in which they do so well in their native range. Um, Argentine ants, uh, sorry, red imported fire ants, like uh, open, wet, meadow-like habitats. So in, in Southern California, they do well in people's lawns and in, in golf courses. Uh, they they haven't, as far as I know, been documented f- very far outside of those uh, types of modified environments. The Argentine ant is quite different in that they will invade uh, areas that are, are not modified by humans and uh, spread into natural ecosystems, and the, the Channel Islands provide a good example of that. They're on the islands in which they occur. They're they're quite widespread, um, uh, at least on some of those islands. So, so if the if the question then becomes, what can we do to you know limit their their spread? Certainly, re- reducing the use of water will uh, will mm-hmm. create an environment that's not as favorable favorable for both of those species.
0: For the, I believe it's the Californian fire ant, the one that's native to this area. So are they? They're not as as comfortable with moisture as the red imported.
1: Uh, yeah, fire. the the southern fire ant, which fire is ant. called the southern fire ant because it used to be found all throughout the southern portion of North America. It's it's hard to find in the southeastern United States because it's been out competed by the red imported fire ant. In California, however, the southern fire ant is still very common and it can tolerate uh, very dry conditions. Um, it's one of our most common ant species, and uh, will probably persist even if red imported fire ants become more common uh, because one would anticipate that red imported fire ants would remain in areas that have uh, irrigation and that are modified in ways that are are suitable for that species. Southern fire ants can occur in all kinds of different habitats that are, that are probably way too dry for uh, the introduced fire ant.
0: That's a bit of good news. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I think... That was actually um, most of the questions that I had about uh, ants here in San Diego. Is there anything that maybe I left out of this conversation that you think it would be important for folks to know about? Well,
1: we focused on on two species: the Argentine ant and the the red imported fire ant. And they're certainly notorious invaders in that they uh, become abundant in their introduced range and they cause um, ecological effects. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed since I started working on ant invasions uh, over 20 years ago is that new species uh, keep on arriving. And uh, some of those species are, are environmentally benign in the sense that they never really become very abundant. They don't spread outside of, you know, human modified environments. Uh, but the capacity for uh, humans to introduce a species that, that do cause problems is, is certainly there. And I think the lesson in that is that in order to limit the problems associated with biological invasions, uh, we have to be more vigilant as a society to prevent those introductions from occurring uh, in the first place. And uh, there are many studies that have tried to document the the economic impacts of introduced species. They're enormous. And even for species that are not public health concerns, uh, they can uh, cause problems and, and disrupt Uh, human welfare in ways that are clearly uh, negative. So I hope that uh, throughout the rest of my research career, I don't continue to see new species uh, showing up that could potentially uh, cause even greater problems than those that currently exist.
0: Yeah, I hear that. Um, Is there anything that San Diegans can do to help potentially create better environments for an ant like the harvester ant, which is important not only for its own population, but for the flora and fauna that we have uh, in our like that are native to our county, like to basically create uh, a happier environment. Something that day to day people can do.
1: Yeah. So so we've shown experimentally that that irrigation causes the spread of Argentine ants. So to the extent that people can limit the use of water in their yards and xeriscape, uh, that should reduce uh, the abundance of, of the Argentine ants. It will probably make those yards less favorable for red imported fire ants as they become more common in our uh, environment. And also it's important to be, uh, aware of these problems and to, uh, educate yourself and to, um, to never introduce new ant species into areas where they don't currently occur.
0: That's great. All right. Well, that's all I got to thank you for coming in and, jo- and talking to us. No, it's a pleasure. Yeah. And that about wraps it up. Thanks again to Dr. David Holloway for coming in and speaking with me. In the footnotes, I'm going to be linking to Dr. Holloway's lab, where you can get a list of a lot of the publications that he's done on Argentine ants and other San Diego insects. It's super interesting, and I'm sure you can email him uh, for other papers, more current papers, if you are interested. I'm also going to link to the paper he referenced about the Morning Glory relationship with the Argentine ant, unfortunately, that uh, PDF is not available online readily, but I will be linking to its abstract so you can learn more. Uh, thanks again uh, for you, the listener, for listening, to Derek Acosta and John Wanzer uh, for making this interview happen, and to Emily Jankowski for everything that she does.
1: Okay, bye.